Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. What time is it? Uh, science time? Sorry, a bit, bit more energy there, please, Claire. Science time! That's it, science time. It is the time for science on Lost in Science. We have half an hour of wall-to-wall science action. Um, buckle your seatbelts, um, fasten your locks, or unfasten your locks for a quick exit, because this is going to get pretty damn... Get your motors running. Here. Yes, yeah, get your motors running. Um, all the cliches are coming out of the box. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a lot of stuff here today. Uh, Claire, what are you going to startle and surprise us with? Well, I'm going to be talking about milk. Um, not just your regular everyday cow's milk, but soy milk, almond milk, cashew milk, all of those milks that, uh, keep popping up at the supermarket. What are the differences? What are the nutritional benefits and disadvantages? Just want to equip everyone with a little bit more knowledge about what they are drinking when they get um, the choice to put different milks in their coffee. Are, in the they, are they even really milks? Yeah, are they really even milks? Have you ever seen um, a teat on a soybean? No, <laughs> not lately. <laughs> Soy teats? No, I haven't. Ah, um, yeah, exactly. But, you Skeptical. Know, well, question is uh, whether a stew will be bold enough to challenge this. I would say, dare he challenge it? No, that joke. Dare he challenge it? Dare he challenge it? Dare no. Dare yeah. dare no, no. Dare I? Yes. Y- yes. I'll I keep working I on that. Dare. Um, well, I'm not going to talk about dairy at all. So I'm going to be actually talking <laughs> to uh, Scott McAdam about um, plant genes and a plant gene that they discovered recently in ferns, which also is present in flowering plants, which in ferns actually dictates which sex the uh, the plant turns Ferns out. are different sexes? They have different sexes within the, the early form of the plant, the gametophyte form of the plant. Oh, right. Uh, but the but this same gene is also responsible for very important things like Drought tolerance in plants. So oh, well, that's a very important gene to to know about. For very, very the useful future. gene in the future. We can look for this gene and see how it's expressed and all sorts of things. So, yeah, Scott McAdam will be talking more about his research in that field later on in the show. From sex to saving our crops, uh, we've got it covered here on Lost in Science. Well, and soy milk. Come and, on, and soy milk. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that is that is the cream of the of the stories. I've got to say, on with the show. So I've started adding soy milk in my coffee over the past year or so. I don't really know why. I tried it once. I enjoyed it. And now it's a habit. I don't know if it's a good habit. Do you have to pay extra for soy milk when you go out and and get coffee from the cafe? I do have to pay extra. Yes. Not really really sure why that is. 50 cents extra. Oh, gosh. They just get you at every turn, don't they? They do. Um, But now you go into a coffee shop and it's not just, you know, soy or cow milk. Um, for your options. There's other options too. You've got almond milk, rice milk, coconut milk, even cashew milk sometimes. Um, you can really be quite overwhelmed by choice. Um, 
I don't know if you guys have ever tried cashew milk. Um, I haven't no, tried I haven't, cashew I haven't milk. Tried cashew milk. Yeah, I probably, mean, probably because I don't want to pay the extra fifty cents. <laughs> Yeah, I I drink black coffee. That's how I get around. Oh yeah, okay. Well, that's that's fair enough. And I mean, look, tip there. There are plenty of reasons why people don't drink cow's milk. Um, If you're lactose intolerant um, or ethically opposed to drinking milk from animals, but some people like me just enjoy a diversity of choice and go with our taste buds, which is great. But it's also good to know how each of them differ nutritionally um, and also environmentally and what that means. So first let's look at what these milks are. A little crash course in milk today. Uh, How how do you milk a soybean? How do you milk a soybean? Yeah, well, you milk a cow by the teats, right? Yep. Yep. Um, And the milk from a cow or a goat or a sheep, um, it's obviously the complete food needed for the growth and development of a young animal. Um, it contains all the essential amino acids that you need to build proteins, which is especially important because um, there are some amino acids that your body cannot make itself that you need to actually consume to build those proteins. Um, a soybean is also a complete food, but um, it's the complete food for the growth and development of a soy plant, um, not a, not an anything else, not a human baby. So, so, the, is. so the nutritional makeup is slightly different. Yeah. Yeah. The needs of a plant are not the same as the needs of an animal. Exactly right, Stu. Um, so for example, in cow's milk, in a 200 mil glass of cow's milk, you'll find about eight grams of protein and um, almost a third of your daily recommended intake of calcium. Um, Cow's milk also naturally contains things like potassium and vitamin B12, which you need, uh, macronutrients. Um, And and also um, the milk that you buy in the supermarket, um, some of it might have been fortified with vitamin A and vitamin D, so you're also getting a shot of those ones. Um, It's got a pretty complex mixture of fats and carbohydrates and all these vitamins and minerals um, so yeah, it's sort of like this broad spectrum nutrient white juice <laughs> milk, the n- nature's nutrient. Moo juice. Moo juice, exactly. Um, nutritionally, if you look at, if you're comparing it to soy, almond, coconut, cashew, uh, milk, um, they, they pale in comparison really, except for soy milk, none of those milks. So yeah almonds and your coconuts, um, none of these contain more than a gram of protein per 100 mils um, unless they have been fortified with protein from somewhere else. Coconut milk is the worst with little to no sort of natural proteins. So, so but have we got how they produce those milks? Because like, like coconut milk is not just the, um, the liquid that you get when you open a coconut. It's coconut water, isn't it? Um, yeah, well, I guess it depends on the stage of the coconut. Like you've got the green coconut that produces um, the coconut water, yep. the clear one, and then once the coconut um, is a little bit older, yep. it produces the coconut and milk. Were you talking about this recently? I feel like we might have been. No, I'm looking I, at you, I don't, Stu. I don't remember. Yeah. 
I'll um, get back to you on that one. I guess what I'm thinking, like, even with them, like, with the nuts and things. So they're, they're obviously grinding up and treat, processing these things in some way. They're not squeezing the teats. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, nuts like almonds and cashews are actually loaded with proteins. Um, and almonds are really rich in calcium. But when you're grinding, like you say, when you're grinding these things up and they're going through that processing, a lot of the nutrients end up getting lost. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so what happens is these soy milk makers or these um, plant-based milk maker makers need to add in um, extra um, extra nutrients. So they actually add in things like um, calcium carbonate to increase the calcium content um, or pea or rice protein to increase your protein content to get it to, you know, a level that's um, that, that you sort of need or that people want that mm. consumers want so so they try they try and make it comparable to cow's milk to cow's milk right yep 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 um i'm starting to see why it might cost you 50 cents extra yeah there's a lot more processing it can't just happen in the in the um in the udder of a cow mm. yeah um now it's actually it's debated whether these added nutrients are absorbed as efficiently by the body as the nutrients um, present in cow's milk. So cow's milk contains the sugars lactose and the protein casein, and it's these that sugar and the protein that actually help increase the absorption of calcium. And then calcium helps absorb vitamin D. So it's sort of like this, um, this fantastic situation that cow's milk has got going on. Um, so yeah, I mean by now I mean you might be feeling a little bit confused about what type of milk to enjoy in your coffee. I'm very sorry about that. Um I would say the take home message is um yes there is there is a take home message here. <laughs> but put it in a um a reusable cup. Put it in. Yeah. <laughs> Put it in a reusable cup. Exactly. Um, there seems to be huge variation in the type of plant-based milk you drink. So when I say that, I mean like the brand of soy milk that you might drink. Um, and 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 that brand might um, determine exactly, you know, what they've added to it, if they've added, um, you know, if they've added calcium, if they've added protein and extra things. So, Should people check the labels? People should check the labels because a recent study in the Journal of Pediatric Gastroenterology and Nutrition confirmed that plant-based drinks vary so widely in their nutritional profile um, that they do not recommend that young children um, drink anything other than cow's milk. In their baby chinos. In their baby chinos. Exactly. Make sure you keep the chocolate on top. That That is not medical advice, but, um, you know. Advice. None of this is medical advice. Please see your, your doctor. <laughs> Don't listen to Lost in Science. Yeah. Talk, talk to a dietitian. Yeah. Yeah. What you yeah. Be eating yeah. And yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Of, of, of course. But let me just um, step away from the nutritional um, being the, you know, dairy ambassador over here and um, mention – just briefly, the environmental and more specifically the water cost of cow's milk versus soy milk because I think that needs to be um, talked about when you talk about, um, you know, uh, milk in general. That is how many litres of water it takes to produce one litre of each of those milks. So um, let me tell you that the UN Development Program have identified that the water footprint of one litre of soy milk is 297 litres of water, which is quite a lot of litres of water. I think it's probably 
twice the amount of water that I would use per day in my house, me personally. Um, whereas, but yeah, the water footprint of one litre of cow's milk is um, 1,050 litres That's of lot. water, which That's- is... Three times as yeah, much. Three, mm. three times, three as, times much as much. Yep. So you're using three times as much water to produce that. So there you go. Something to ruminate on next time your barista asks you what milk you want with that. Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. One of the things uh, about living in Australia um, is that it's one of the driest, well, certainly the driest inhabited continents on Earth, um, and drought tolerance of plants is something of great interest. Now, I've got on the line with me uh, Scott McAdam from the University of Tasmania, who's made some discoveries about how plants regulate uh, their water use, which arose from something uh, quite different. Thanks for joining us on Lost in Science, Scott. No, thank you. That's, that's good to be here. Now, your original work on, on plants was not actually looking for a drought tolerance um, mechanism, was it? No, that's right. We were actually looking for uh, genes that controlled the sex of of plants, uh, which is quite a different topic altogether. Um, yeah. So, but, and, and this is recent research. Did did we not know before this how plants regulated the the sex of the plant or the flower or whatever part of the plant it is? So we were actually working with ferns and. Um, What's fascinating about ferns is that they have a very cryptic reproductive stage called a gametophyte, which is a very small, almost microscopic life phase that can be uh, either hermaphrodite or or male. And uh, lots of research in the 70s and 80s had investigated um, what, uh, hormones or re- growth regulators might make e- uh, gametophyte either male or hermaphrodite, but we had no idea about the genes that controlled that. So it was something completely unknown. We knew that uh, the plants could change their sex, these ferns could change the sex of their gametophyte, but we had absolutely no idea what, what uh, mechanisms they were using for that. So we really just, our focus was what? studying well what what genes might be controlling this really interesting feature of a plant so you were looking at um tasmanian ferns or are they widespread across australia where was the so this was the fern, work focused the fern that we were working with was um uh, a species that had been that's found across the tropical regions of of australia um it grows in it sort of grows in water um and you can find it in the Northern Territory in the, in the wet season. Um, but it, it's a really exciting uh, species to work with because it can be so easily propagated and grown in a glasshouse. So it makes, it's the ideal um, plant to do uh, experiments with because it's so easy to, to grow. You know, it, it would 
be very difficult to do this work with a tree fern, which might take 100 years to grow only a metre metre tall. This plant, this little fern uh, can grow uh, and live its full life cycle in, in only a month. So we can, we can do uh, experiments into uh, how the plant might live and grow and we can look at its genes in a very easy, easy way in, in the lab. So it makes it an ideal species to work with. But it is a native to um, northern Australia. Okay, so, so it, it grows from a spore... In, through this gametophyte stage and then gets mm. to be a mature adult and then produces more spores within a month. Yes, yeah, that's right. That's, that's yeah. a really, really fast, uh, very it's short life cycle. It's a very short life cycle for, for a fern. Um, so what we knew about this fern was that it has this very nice um, method of... Um, controlling it, of determining the, the sex of its gametophyte. Um, and interestingly, we had some mutants that we had created that were discovered in the 70s by painstaking work uh, looking, at the, looking at these gametophytes under a microscope and discovering uh, particular lines of these ferns that were insensitive to, to a hormone. So it meant that they... Um, would always grow as males. Um, the hormone that made them hermaphrodite, uh, the plant couldn't perceive them. So we had this fern that could grow really fast and we had these great resources of plants that just couldn't quite perceive hormones properly, which led us to, into, our, into our discovery, yeah. So the fact that they couldn't perceive the the hormones to turn them into hermaphrodites, did that mm. allow you to look for genes that were missing that would allow other plants to do that? Is that is that how how it worked? Yes, yes. So that's right. So what we um, what we did we we um, had we actually sequenced the genome of of this fern, uh, which was quite a feat because we have no genetic Understanding, we have a genome of humans, and that's very useful for medical research. and And we have genomes from a lot of crop species, like corn um, and rice. So, and we use breeders use those genomes to uh, Im- improve varieties and to understand how those crop plants might be growing. But we had no genomes from from ferns. So, of course, because their only use for humans is ornamental, basically, in gardens. So there wasn't much of a drive to, to um, get an understanding of the genes of these plants, but we were able to uh, sequence the genome of this plant, and with that information, we uh, studied, well, what, what gene was deficient in these plants and that caused them to not be able to perceive this, this hormone, and... It was quite an amazing discovery because we actually found that uh, the gene responsible for perceiving the hormone in the fern was the same gene that um, seed plants or the, and flowering plants, which are all of our crop species and all of our forestry species, all the plants that are really important for um, human survival, um, all of those plants use that same gene to stop their stomata on their leaves from losing lots of water when they when they experience drought 
which was an astonishing um, discovery that we have a sex we found a sex gene that then went that then um, evolved through time has evolved to uh, stop plants uh, using lots of water it's carried on from the ferns um, mm. through the various stages of plant evolution into all of the flowering plants that exist now yes that's right so we know that ferns ferns are not very good at surviving in in dry environments you you sometimes see ferns growing in uh, very dry ridge tops in australia but often they are very small and they can be completely desiccation tolerant so if it gets dry and when it does get dry they just shrivel up and they go dormant and then they re 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 sprout but most ferns grow in very dry, very wet places and uh, don't have much um, capacity to tolerate drought. And that's something that uh, has been a defining feature of ferns for their entire evolutionary history. So the, um, just just on, on the ferns, the ferns also rely on water for the, for mm. the fertilisation of the, of the gametophyte, is that right? Yes, that's right. So, so that's, that's part of the reason, I guess, that they only exist in wet places is they haven't got a mechanism for that yes. fertilisation process. That's right. So what's very interesting is they actually have motile sperm. So just like animals, which have sperm that swim to, to an egg to fer- for fertilisation, the gametophytes, male gametophytes produce sperm, and when a droplet of water falls on them, those little sperm swim in the very same way as animal sperm towards the egg of, of another of a neighbouring plant and fertilise it so um, ferns actually require water to move their sperm from, from the male to the female and they swim in exactly the same way but um, so that's a big limitation yeah, that is a, a limitation to, to their survival they're, they're sort of really bound to, to living in wet really quite wet places so the what happened through what has happened through time is that seed plants um which thrive in areas that are seasonally dry so in arid australia in central australia with very low rainfall or even in northern australia where you have maybe six months of absolutely no rain in the dry season we still have plants living in these environments and it's because they can regulate the amount of water that comes out of their leaf through little pores called stomata and they close those when it's dry and they use a hormone to close them and the hormone increases and the stomata close and then they can sit for a very long time in this dry uh, landscape and wait till it rains which is something the ferns don't have Um, ferns hadn't evolved that so, so it's it's the same um, gene that's responsible for, I guess, is that receiving that hormone and getting that mm. signal in the in the seed plants and in the flowering plants that is yeah. responsible in the ferns for the sex determination. Yes, that's right. So you've right. got you've got the same gene. Yeah, the gene signalling for sex and with the hormone controlling sex and and it perceives the plant perceives the hormone through that gene and determine makes the gametophyte a hermaphrodite but what's happened through time is that plants have gone oh this hormone is produced very uh, efficiently when the plants experience water stress so 
they have taken, if evolution really has acted by going, by sort of moving that pathway into the stomata where they can now close these the pores on the leaves and uh, whenever that hormone increases. Mm. So I guess um, one of the things this, this work will allow uh, scientists to do in the future is possibly look for plants that have a greater expression of this gene which might suggest that they're more drought tolerant than and other uh, varieties of particular plants, whether that's crop plants or forestry plants or whatever it might be. So that, that, that would be a great advantage in the future. Yes, that's right. Yeah, Actually understanding how the pores uh, control water use in seed plants is incredibly important because if you have, the, if you have any inefficiency in that, uh, your plants will use far more water than what they need to. They will just lose lots of water from their leaves, which is um, certainly not ideal for growing plants under irrigation, which a lot of Australian agriculture is, um, takes place with, with irrigation. Um, so improved varieties where maybe the expression of this gene is enhanced or uh, is more efficient even at perceiving the hormone. Uh, could have uh, implications for, but maybe it could reduce uh, crop water use by uh, orders of magnitude, and that would be um, extremely beneficial for for um, irrigated agriculture, or indeed agriculture in in places in more arid environments. Yeah, I, even even dryland agriculture where the we're right. reliant on rainfall completely. That's um, it's really amazing work that you've done, um, Scott. And uh, I would like to thank you for joining us on Lost in Science and bringing us up to speed with your work. Thanks. It's been really good to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks. No worries. And that is it for another sterling episode of Action Science on Lost in Science, where we have heard about. All the all the nutty milks, the nuttiest of milks that there are out there, <laughs> and, and beanie milks, and beanie milks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's bean milk, but what is it now? Whoa, is that uh, another pun? Yeah. Oh, okay. Was, okay, okay, all right, okay. Yeah. Yes, and we have, of course, learned about ferns and how their their um sexy sexy genes <laughs> could save our drought perhaps tolerance. Well, yeah, and, yes. yeah, and crops in general, and 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 even you know forestry plants and ecology as well. It's important stuff. Botany, who'd have thunk it? Lost in Science. It is recorded at the studios of Three CR in Melbourne, airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We would love you to get in touch with us and tell us what we have gotten wrong. Uh, if you're a big fan of Nutty Milk, perhaps you want to tell Claire a thing or two, please email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or um, Twitter. tweet to us on Twitter. We are Lost in Science. One, I think, is our handle. Lost in Science One. You can yeah. look us up. Uh, what else? Uh, we also have a Facebook page where you can – it's called Lost in Science on 3CR – where you can find uh, more detail on our stories. We'll put them up there on there, and you can find links to our podcast. Yes, we have a podcast as well. You can subscribe to us um, through the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au slash Lost in Science, or you can find us on your favorite little podcasting um, app 
or service, that kind Pod of thing. Podapp. Podapp, if you will. And, you know, if, we, if you find us on there, if you stumble across us on an iTunes or something like that, why not rate us? Maybe give us a five-star rating. I get think you can in, do that. Get us, get us into the charts. Get us into the charts. We deserve it. Uh, if anyone does, it is us. Um, but apart from that, we will just be on free-to-air normal radio. Uh, same time next week when Claire, Stu, Manisha and Chris will get Lost in Science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.